Micah chapter 5, continuing on with our study through the book of Micah. (coughs) Micah chapter 5, and let's just begin reading from verse 1 this morning. It says, Now gather thyself in troops, O daughter of troops. He hath laid siege against us. They shall smite the judge of Israel with a rod upon the cheek. But thou, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, Though there be little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of thee shall he come forth unto me, that is to be ruler in Israel. His goings forth have been from, from of old, from Austin. Therefore he will, give, will he give them up until the time that she which travaileth hath brought forth. Then the remnant of his brethren shall return unto the children of Israel. And he shall stand and feed in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God. And they shall abide for now, shall he be great unto the ends of the earth. And this man shall be the peace, when the Assyrian shall come into our land. And when he shall tread in our palaces, then shall we raise against him seven shepherds and eight principal men. And they shall waste the land of Assyria with the sword, and the land of Nimrod and the entrances thereof. Thus shall he deliver us from the Assyrian when he cometh into our land, when he treadeth within our borders. Let's just open with a word of prayer. Lord and Holy Father, we do thank you for this day, Lord, for the opportunity to come together as believers and spend time uh, in praise to you, and Lord, spend time in your word. And we pray that this morning you would undertake now, Lord, that you give me wisdom and guidance from on high, that Lord, it be your words and your thoughts, and we pray that you would give us understanding of this passage, and you would teach us and instruct us through it, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> now, the first verse here in chapter 5 um, actually belongs at the end of chapter 4. If you look in the Hebrew text, it, it's connected to the end of chapter 4, and it, it fits much better at the end of chapter 4. In verse 1 we read, Now gather thyself in troops, O daughter of troops. He hath laid siege against us. They shall smite the judge of Israel with a rod upon the cheek. And so what it's talking about here in verse 1 is it's a call for the people of Israel to gather themselves together in Jerusalem to prepare themselves for the siege. Okay, the siege that is coming, okay? And the enemy that's going to lay siege to Jerusalem is, of course, the Babylonian army, okay? Which we looked at last week in chapter 4. He prophesied was going to happen soon. This, this event was coming about 100 years after Micah. Babylon would come up, lay siege to Jerusalem. And Micah prophesies here in verse 1 that over the course of this siege, the enemy will capture the city and they will um, smite the judge of Israel upon the cheek, okay, with a rod upon the cheek, it says in verse 1 at the end there, okay, they shall smite the judge of Israel with a rod upon the cheek. Now, smiting upon the cheek was one of the greatest insults to a Jew, okay, it was an insulting thing back in these days. And the judge referred to here is none other than the king, okay, and so it's saying that the king of Israel, the king of the southern kingdom, will be humiliated, okay, by this foreign power that lays siege to Jerusalem, and this was all fulfilled um, with the shameful treatment of King Zedekiah. Okay, when Babylon came up, laid siege, they took the city, and Zedekiah was shamefully treated when they captured him. Okay, in 2 Kings chapter 25, we're not going to turn there, but if we were to read it, 2 Kings 25 tells us that uh, when King Zedekiah saw the hopeless situation, that he left the city, he fled with his officers, um, but he didn't get very far before he was captured. Okay, and then the Babylonians proceeded to humiliate him. They killed his sons before his own eyes, and then they plucked out his eyes before leading him off to Babylon in chains. 
And so the words here of verse 1 are fulfilled with the, cap- uh, the captivity coming from Babylon, okay, the siege from Babylon, and then the king being humiliated. And it's with this shameful treatment of Zedekiah in mind that Micah now puts forth a contrast. Okay, verse 2 begins, but thou. Okay, this is in contrast with the shameful treatment of the king of Israel in verse 1. Zedekiah, he now puts forth the co- this contrast of the greatest future king of Israel, the Messiah, the king that is to come. And so this m- morning we want to look at verses 2 through to 6. And we want to consider this morning Micah's description of the Messiah. Micah's description of the Messiah. Look, first of all, we see in verse 2 that the Messiah will be born in Bethlehem. He'll be born in Bethlehem. It says in verse 2, But thou, Bethlehem, Ephratah, though there be little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of thee shall he come forth unto me, that is to be ruler in Israel. His goings forth have been from old, from everlasting. Micah begins his prophecy here by saying that the Messiah will be born in Bethlehem. He tells us exactly, specifically, the place that the Messiah will come to, the Messiah will be born. You know, this is a verse that I'm sure will be fit to us. We hear it often at Christmas time, don't we? Okay, or we hear it from Matthew where it is quoted. And so we know this verse well, and, and this verse is indeed a glorious verse. When you consider the fact that Micah is writing this centuries before Christ is born, centuries before the Lord comes, Micah tells us clearly exactly where the Messiah will be born. He identifies the town as being Bethlehem Ephratah from the tribe of Judah. And there's a reason why he's so specific here. It's because there's two cities of Bethlehem. There's one in Judah and there's one in Zebulun. Okay? And because of this, he makes sure he's very clear, doesn't he? Okay? He doesn't just say Bethlehem. He says Bethlehem, Ephratah, from the tribe of Judah. He's specific in, in the city that he's referring to, the, the village, if you like, the town that he's referring to. And so the Messiah here is said that he'll be born in Bethlehem. And it's interesting because the meaning of the name of Bethlehem is the house of bread, and then the meaning of Ephratah is fruitful. And so it's a very fitting place for Messiah to be born. Okay, the house of bread and fruitful. Christ, of course, is the bread of life and the source of all fruitfulness. And so it's a fitting place that God chooses to send the Messiah to be born here at Bethlehem. You know, not only does Micah here identify the place, but he also highlights for us just how insignificant this town really is. Just how insignificant this, this little town of Bethlehem is. You see, one would think that the king of Israel would be born in Jerusalem. Particularly when Micah is um, prophesying this truth. You know, he just talked about the shameful treatment of Zedekiah under the siege with the Babylonians. He's just talked about that. One would think that the future king, this glorious king, would be born in Jerusalem. You know, that he would be born in the, in the, you know, the palace. That's where the Jews would want their Messiah to come to. You know, instead, Micah says he's going to be born in Bethlehem, Ephratah. And he says, though thou be little among the thousands of Judah. And what he's saying there is he's, he's highlighting just how insignificant this town really is. You see, this town is little among the thousands of Judah. It's tiny. It's a no- nothing. It's just a little village, a little village out of the way. It's so insignificant that this city is not found mentioned in the list of cities that Judah owns. When you go to Joshua chapter 15 and you read the list of cities, Bethlehem is not listed. 
When you read the list in Nehemiah chapter 11, again, Bethlehem is not listed. You see, Bethlehem was this place that was totally insignificant in the eyes of men. In fact, in the New Testament, in John chapter 7, verse 44, 42, sorry, John uses the word village or hamlet to describe Bethlehem. You see, Bethlehem is not even a city. It's this village. It's this tiny little place where the Messiah will be born. You know, in the eyes of men, this place was small. This place was insignificant. But, you know, as we look through the scriptures, Bethlehem had a vital place in the eyes of God, didn't it? Bethlehem had a, a vital place in the eternal plan of our God. You know, in the book of Ruth, we find that Bethlehem is the place that Ruth and Naomi return to. After they've been in their land of mold, they come back to Bethlehem and they settle there. Ruth, of course, meets Boaz and they fall in love. They get married and they dwell in Bethlehem. And then, of course, their great-grandson, born in Bethlehem, is none other than David himself. Israel's greatest earthly king had a humble beginning in the village, the hamlet of Bethlehem. And now Micah prophesies that the Messiah, the son of David, will likewise have the same humble beginning in Bethlehem, Ephratah. And you know, the Gospels make it clear to you and I that these words from Micah were perfectly fulfilled with Christ, were they not? Now, we remember it every year at Christmas time. But these words from Micah, as I said, centuries before Christ ever comes, these words are perfectly fulfilled in the Lord Jesus Christ at his birth. Just turn to Matthew, just quickly, Matthew chapter 2. We'll read a couple of verses. Matthew chapter 2 and verse 1. It says, Now when Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, there came wise men from the east to Jerusalem. You see quite clearly that Christ was born in Bethlehem of Judah. Christ fulfills these words perfectly. You see, Christ is the fulfillment of this Old Testament prophecy concerning the Messiah. Christ is the Messiah. He is the Jews' Messiah. But you know, the sad thing is that although the Jews knew this prophecy from Micah, although they knew where Messiah should be born, the Jews missed him when he came. Matthew chapter 2 again, verse 5 and 6. This is the, the scribes and the chief priests re- replying to King Herod. They say, and it say, sorry, it says, And they said unto him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it is written by the prophet, And thou, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, art not the least among the princes of Judah, for out of thee shall come a governor they, that shall rule my people Israel. You know, the chief priests, the scribes, they knew the truth. They knew the prophecy of Micah, and they they proclaim this prophecy to King Herod. And yet even though they knew the scriptures, they knew the truth, they still missed the fulfillment of that truth, the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, for you and I as believers, it's wonderful to be able to consider prophecies like Micah's, is it not? To be able to consider this passage, which, as I said, was written centuries before Christ is born, and to see God's word so perfectly fulfilled. You know, the prophecy here in Micah chapter 5 is not ambiguous. You know, it's not hard to understand. It's not one that you have to sort of pull apart and figure out where is he going to be born. It's clear, isn't it? It's very exact. It's very precise. And Christ fulfills it perfectly. 
See, God had a plan in eternity past. God had a plan. He had a time, he had a place when Christ the Savior would be born. And it was in Bethlehem, Ephratah, this lowly place. Christ had a humble beginning. Secondly, we see that Micah tells us that this one, the Messiah, would be the eternal one. The eternal one. Look in verse 2 again of Micah chapter 5. It says, But thou, Bethlehem, Ephratah, though there be little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of thee shall he come forth unto me, that is to be ruler in Israel, whose goings forth have been from old, from everlasting. Not only does Micah highlight for you and I the humble beginnings, the humble birth of the Messiah, but he also highlights for us the eternality of the Messiah. You see, at the end of verse 2 here, we read that his goings forth have been of old from everlasting. Now, in the Hebrew, this is the strongest possible statement of infinite duration. It's a strong statement, the strongest possible statement of infinite duration. It's saying that Christ has always existed. The Messiah has always existed. It's talking about his eternality. We see similar phrases used speaking about God the Father. Just turn to a couple. Psalm chapter 90. Psalm 90 and verse 2. Psalm 90 verse 2, it says, Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever thou hast formed the earth and the world, even from everlasting to everlasting, thou art God. It's a similar idea, talking about his, his works in the past, okay, his goings forth of old, and saying that he is from everlasting. It's talking about God, talking about his eternality. In Proverbs chapter 8, again, similar wording, talking about God. Proverbs chapter 8. Verse 22, talking about wisdom here, it says, The Lord possessed me in the beginning of his work, before his works of old. I was set up from everlasting from the beginning, forever the earth was. So just about the fact that God possessed, possessed wisdom from the beginning, from his eternality, before his works of old. Again, it's the same idea, the same sort of phrase here. You speaking about God the Father, talking about God the Father's eternality, and now Micah uses a similar idea talking about the Messiah. See, the point is we have a wonderful, clear statement here of the Messiah's eternality. The Messiah may have come forth from Bethlehem. He may have been born in Bethlehem, Ephratah, that lowly village, but he didn't begin there. He may have been born in a lowly place, but he existed long before his birth. He had no beginning. And his goings forth have been from old, from everlasting. The pre-existence of the Messiah is being taught here. The pre-existence. He existed and he was active, working in the world long before his birth. And you know, this is possible. Why? Because he is none other than God himself. Manifest in the flesh. He is deity, fully God. You know, Mike is not the only Old Testament prophet to speak about the Messiah's eternality. In Isaiah chapter 9, just turn there, Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6, another passage we see often at Christmas time. I looked at it last year at Christmas. Isaiah 9 and verse 6 says, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of 
peace. You know, Isaiah here declares the same marvelous truth. The, the Messiah is much more than just a man. The Messiah is indeed the mighty God manifest in the flesh. And of course, once again, we see this prophecy gloriously fulfilled in Christ. We see it clearly fulfilled in him in the New Testaments. Christ was much more than a man. Christ was and is the eternal Son of God. John chapter 1, let's just turn there, John 1. Because it speaks about his goings forth of old and his eternality. John chapter 1, verse 1. It says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by Him. And without Him was not anything made that was made. Of course, the Word here is talking about Christ, saying that He was in the beginning with God, and He was God. And then it talks about His goings forth. It talks about how He was involved in creation. See, Christ is indeed the Creator. He is God. He is eternal. The pre-existent one. In Revelation 22 verse 13, it declares Christ to be the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the ends. You see, Christ is indeed fully God, existing in eternity past, and he will exist for eternity future. And when he left his throne in glory to be born of a virgin in Bethlehem all those years ago, he became the perfect God-man. He took upon himself the form of a man. He became flesh, as it says in John 1 verse 14, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. He became flesh. You know, this is important because it's his humanity that enables Christ to represent us on the cross. His humanity means that he can die in our place as our substitutes. His deity means that he was sinless. And so he was the perfect Sinless sacrifice. You see, it's because Christ is the perfect God, you and I can be saved. And Micah, long ago in chapter 5, verse 2, prophesied of both these truths, that he would be man and that he would be God. Born in Bethlehem and he would be eternal. The eternal one. Having declared these glorious truths that Messiah is coming, that he'd be born in Bethlehem, that he would be eternal, Micah then proceeds in verse 3 to state this. He says, Therefore will he give them up until the time that she which travaileth hath brought forth. Now, there's a lot of confusion over this verse and commentators are divided. Some have understood this to be speaking about the Virgin Mary. Okay, saying that you know Israel will be under affliction, Israel will be under oppression, they will be tra- travailing when the Messiah will be born. Now, while it is true that Israel was under affliction, Israel was under the the hand of the Romans when Christ was born, I don't personally believe that fits the context of the verse. You see, the end of the verse goes on. Then, then the remnant of his brethren shall return unto the children of Israel. And so the whole verse says that when this travailing is over, the remnant will be gathered. When this travailing is over, the nation will be restored. And then as we read on in verses 4 through to 6, and you do the rest of the chapter, but verses 4 to 6, it talks about Christ reigning as king. You know, we know that when Christ came the first time as a baby in Bethlehem, he didn't come to restore the nation. He didn't come to reign as king. That won't happen until his second coming. 
And so it seems to me, and it fits, seems to fit better to me, that verse 3 refers to the period between his first coming and his second coming. Between his coming as a babe in Bethlehem and dying on the cross and his coming as king. The word therefore at the start of verse 3 can actually also be translated as afterwards. And if we read it as afterwards, it makes more sense. Afterwards will he give them up until the time that she which hath travailed hath brought forth. Afterwards, after this one has been revealed, after the Messiah has been born, the eternal one has come, after he's come to earth as a baby, Israel will be given up. Now this is the... This is what Paul was speaking about in Romans chapter 11, this time of giving up, Romans 11. Romans chapter 11, and just read verse 25. It says, For I would not, brethren, that you should be ignorant of this mystery, lest you should be wise in your own conceits, that blindness in part is happened to Israel until the fullness of of the Gentiles be come in. It's the Gentiles, the, the fullness of the Gentiles, this time when Christ has, God has given up his people. God has not rejected his people Israel. He's simply given them up until the fullness of the Gentiles be come in. He's given them up for a period of time. They will be given up until the end of their travailing, as it says here in Micah chapter 5. Until the end of their travailing, until the end of the tribulation you know Micah uses similar words writing in chapter 4 speaking about the nations travailing under the hand of the Babylonians Micah chapter 4 just read again verse 9 and 10 Micah 4 verse 9 it says now why dost thou cry out aloud is there no king in thee is thy counselor perished for pangs have taken thee as a woman in travail be in pain and labor to bring forth O daughter of Zion like a woman in travail, for now shalt thou go forth out of the city, and from, thou shalt dwell in the field, and thou shalt go even to Babylon. There shalt be delivered, there the Lord shall redeem thee from the hand of thine enemies. And so Micah has used very similar wordings in chapter 4, speaking about their travailing under the hand of the Babylonians. And now he uses similar words, speaking about their travailing that will culminate in the Great Tribulation. You know, Micah ends verse 3 telling us that when this time is fulfilled, when their time of travailing is over, the remnant will be gathered, the nation will be restored. And then he goes on in verses 4 to 6 to tell how Christ the Messiah will reign as king. In describing his first coming, verse 2, Micah tells that Messiah will be born in Bethlehem and that he will be the eternal one. In describing his second coming, Micah now tells us three more things about this one, the Messiah. Now, these won't be as long, so don't worry about the time. The first of these is that he tells us he will be the great shepherd. The great shepherd, look in verse 4. It says, And he shall stand and feed in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord God, and they shall abide, for now shall he be great unto the ends of the earth. Micah tells us that when Christ returns the second time, when he comes again to set up his king, he will stand and feed his people, his flock. At his first coming, you know, the Jews, they rejected their Messiah. They rejected him and hung him on a cross. They put him to death. 
When he comes again, the rejected one will become the shepherd of Israel. He will take care of his people. He will protect his people, watch over his people, just like a shepherd cares for his flock. You know, throughout the word of God, we see Christ, we see the Lord described as a shepherd to his people. You know, Psalm 23 immediately springs to mind, doesn't it? The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Now, a great passage that you and I as believers even to take great comfort from. Why? Because Christ is already our shepherd. Christ is our shepherd even now. But in the millennial reign, the Jews will experience the blessing of having Christ as their shepherd, taking care of them, watching over them. Secondly, he tells us that the Messiah will be the peace. The peace, look in verse 5. It says, And this man shall be the peace, when the Assyrians shall come into our land, and when he shall tread in our palaces, then shall we raise against him seven shepherds and eight principal men. Not only will Christ be their shepherd when he comes again, caring for them, watching over them, but he will also be the peace. Now it's interesting, isn't it? It doesn't say that he will simply bring peace. It says that he is the peace. He is the peace. Now Paul expressed the same idea in Ephesians when he said that Christ is our peace. Go to Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 14. I will start in verse 13. But now in Christ Jesus, ye who sometimes were far off, are made nigh by the blood of Christ. For he is our peace, who hath, broken, uh, who hath made both one, and hath broken down the middle wall of partition between us. He says, but for he is our peace. Paul expresses this same idea. You see, even now, you and I as believers were saved, Christ is the peace. He is our peace, the source of peace. He gives us peace that passeth all understanding. You and I are already experiencing that blessing. A peace of the world will never know until Christ comes back and rules and reigns. And when he does, then Israel and indeed the whole world will experience that peace because Christ the peace will be on the throne. Now we saw this same truth last week in chapter 4 where it talks about the fact that they'll take their instruments of war and beat them into instruments of farming because there will be no need for war because on the throne will be the Messiah who is the peace. Lastly, he tells us that the Messiah will be the deliverer. The Messiah will be the deliverer. Look in verse 5 again. It says, And this man shall be the peace. When the Assyrians shall come into our land, and when he shall tread in our palaces, then shall we raise against him seven shepherds and eight principal men, and they shall waste the land of Assyria with the sword, and the land of Nimrod in the entrances thereof. Thus shall he deliver us from the, from the Assyrian." when he cometh into our land, and when he treadeth within our borders. Now lastly here, Micah describes how Christ, the Messiah, will be the great deliverer for the nation of Israel. Christ will bring peace because he will deliver them from their enemies. Now it mentions the Assyrian here. And the Assyrian is used, if you like, representatively of all the enemies of Israel. Okay, Micah is looking, the Assyrians are coming. And so he uses a familiar term for the people. But the Assyrian is used here as a representative of all the enemies. 
that will come against Israel. We saw last week in chapter 4 that there will be one final battle. One final battle at the end of the tribulation where the nations will gather together as a one confederate army. And they will come against Israel and the Lord will fight for Israel. The Lord will deliver them. He will in that day defeat their foes. He will be their deliverer and set up his kingdom here on earth. You know, Micah chapter 5 is a wonderful passage. Describing for you and I clearly the Messiah and his work. You know, Micah prophesies that he will be born in Bethlehem. And he would be the eternal one. He would be God manifest in the flesh. And we've seen that fulfilled in Christ at his first coming. Christ was indeed God manifest in the flesh. Fully God and fully man. Which is why you and I can have salvation through him. The second part of this prophecy won't be fulfilled until he comes again. But when he comes, he will set up his kingdom and he will rule and reign. He will be Israel's shepherd. He will be the peace. He will be the deliverer. You know, even now, he, he is all three of these to you and I who are saved. He is our shepherd. He is our peace. And he is our deliverer. Let's close in a word of prayer. Dear Lord and Heavenly Father, we do thank you for your word. We thank you, Lord, for prophecies like this in Micah chapter 5, which so clearly picture, Lord, the Messiah, your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you, Lord, that it just shows how great you are, how in control you are. And Lord, we thank you and praise you for that. And Lord, we, we thank you and praise you that even now, Christ is indeed our shepherd, our peace, our deliverer. May we leave uh, thinking upon these things, pondering upon the truth of your word, we pray in Jesus' name. Praise the Lord. Thank you. We're going to 256. It's in the first and last verses of 156. Christ returneth.